When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Mark with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Fresh off of a week's vacation, sailing around the world on his raft, and he's out there making things happen. Noodling sharks. He's, this guy's hardcore. Sean, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good, Casey. I'm charged. I'm, uh, I'm here for a day, and I go back out to Iowa to do market to market on Thursday, and so. Uh, Grass ain't growing underneath me, uh, at least not right now. So, well, that's good, man. Keeps things going. Keep the keep talking about what you've been talking about. So, there's a couple things I want to hit on. Um, looking at the grain market over the last week and a half or so, I think we had a high of about five fifty uh, ish, something like that, on corn, and we saw, you know, what was it? Almost fourteen dollar beans there for a minute. So. I guess, Sean, taking a look at where we're at now, we've given all that back. Corn's back down under five. I think yesterday it was right around five. December corn was like 498 or three or something like that. I get to go back and take a look, but it was, it was under, it had a four in front of it. So I guess we're kind of back to where we started at. Um, beans and, and corn both looking at that. I guess, Sean, taking a look at that market right now, you, you talked about 
seeing a big peak up here that last week of July going into August, and that happened. And now we're starting to see the, the ramifications of that uh, of that V bottom there. So I guess talk a little bit about that, Sean. Well, <clears throat> cool, wet weather heading into mid-August is ideal for yeah. finishing up uh, the corn crop and obviously really, really ideal for really developing uh, big yield potential for soybeans. Um, and that's what we're looking at. We're looking at cooler weather than normal, some good moisture. Um, even if some heat comes in later in the month like it looks like it could, it's it's kind of too late to really deliver blow. So the market is pricing in. The crop is going to be decent. Um, and that means weather's off the table. And we're then now, now the name of the game is when does the harvest low occur? Late August, late September, mid-October. You know, we play the game of when is the harvest low going to take place? Um, based upon harvest pressure and all the things we typically know this time of the year. The complicating factor is normally that's pretty straightforward, but we have this escalating geopolitical instability that I think um, is likely to cause an earlier harvest low than a later harvest low, meaning I expect that whatever the market needs to do the downside, $12.50 is strong support for soybeans, you know, uh, if you look at the longer term charts, four and a half dollars is really strong support on corn. Um, whether we need to go down to that level or not, but whatever it is we need to do, I think we're going to do it by the end of the month, early September. That's going to be your harvest pressure low. And then I think geopolitics takes over from there and creates some substantial upside for the wheat market. Mm. And of course, by definition, um, that will drag corn and soybeans up at a time that it wants to rally post-harvest. So I think if we're looking at the typical pattern, we're looking for an early harvest low and an early beginning of a post-harvest rally really being catalyzed by uh, escalating geopolitical risks in the wheat market. So, right. Yeah, the, uh, the Russia-Ukraine thing is really starting to kind of amp back up when you start looking at how that's going to affect the overall marketplace. You have Russia bombing all the key um, infrastructure, whether it's river, port, whatever it is, they're, they're taking care of that. And now you have Ukrainians um, retaliating with uh, bombing the Russian sites there on the Black Sea as well. So that that is going to be a continued, um, I guess, powder cake is probably the right word to use. Well, the, the, the two real key factors is that the Danube River yeah. infrastructure, which is so key to getting grain out of Ukraine. Um, the more bombings we see there, the more deterioration of infrastructure there, the more uh, the uh, the checkmate is going to be played into Ukraine, but if 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 what's going on here is Russia saying, look, we we tried to play nice with food, we're not getting you to come to the table to negotiate, we're going to play hard with food. Well, the only way that you're going to put pressure on the other side is you need to get prices for food that people consume high, that it creates huge geopolitical backlash. Um, Having said that, the other side is not going to, I think, back down willingly. I think they're going to attempt to restrict what Russia can get out of their country. So everything's been oh, – the whole focus of the market has been Ukraine's flow. I think the other side, the West, is going to, at least for a little while, try to restrict Russia's flow of energy and Russia's flow of their wheat out of the market because remember they're funding the war by selling a bunch of crude oil, a bunch of natural gas and a bunch of wheat 
to those that are willing to buy from them so they can fund the war. So I could see that if we're just trying to play this geopolitical chess match before we get to the negotiating table, what I could see is the West or those on the other side attempting to disrupt Russia's supply. And if that happens, Casey, remember that wheat price that the Russians have been lowballing all year long has been the cap on the wheat market and really the cap on the grain markets. So long as they've been willing to sell a bunch of cheap wheat, very, very hard to get sustained higher grain prices. But if that starts to go away, then the game really, really changes. And I think that's likely to happen as we get to the latter part of August onward. I think we're going to see that happen. And then, and then once that happens, Casey, then the inflation side, the food inflation side, the energy inflation side, like we had seen a year ago, year and a half ago, We'll get to the point that all the politicians on all sides see the wisdom and what do we need to do to calm this down and kind of put this genie back in the bottle. Um, That probably takes place as we approach winter time. I don't think anybody in any country wants to go through winter with a food shortage on their hands. That would make it tough, very tough. Yes. So you take a look at uh, another thing. So like – you brought up wheat, and that was one of the things I want to talk to you about. As you look at the wheat market, Sean, um, that's the really the bright spot out there when you're looking at the overall, um, uh, you know, where, where the where the real play is at right now. And it's, it's everything you've talked about. You know, it's it's the food shortages, it's the you know rationing of wheat that we see coming out of uh, wheat and rice coming out of India, and all those things are starting to come together. Um, I guess talk about wheat a little bit, and are we are we at the top of the market? I mean, I've heard people toss around ten and twelve dollar bushel type numbers when it comes to wheat. I guess so. What's your opinion on that? And and do you feel like we'll get close to the top? And and what's your expectations moving forward into uh, this fall? We'd like to look at wheat collectively because we have spring wheat, we have hard red winter wheat, we have soft red winter wheat. We'd like to look at the wheat as a, as, a, as an entire group. In our report this week, Casey, as, you, as I'm sure you saw, we put out an all-wheat price chart that looks at the average price for all the wheat combined, you know, as an average. And right now, it's it's hovering around um, seven and a half to eight dollars. Okay, um, we think that the average wheat price needs to get to ten in order to put the correct pressure on politicians to de-escalate. This situation, meaning that $10 wheat, and of course we know that India has already banned rice, and so rice prices are, are taking off, going up parabolic. We don't have cheap rice to fill in the gap this time. And when you have stocks to usage in exporter hands for wheat of all kinds at 25-year lows, the only thing keeping the wheat market down is that low offer from Russia. So when we look at all of that, you know, we think that the average wheat price, you know, and if anyway, if you look at a long-term chart of whether you look at soft red winter or hard red, ten dollars ten has been a very significant overhead resistance level for decades. So it's not like I'm, you know, making something up. I just think ten dollars is a is a magnet for it, that the politicians around the world would not want to see us go substantially above ten. Um, I think that's a point where they start getting really nervous about civil unrest, about those in countries that don't have enough. We already saw what happened in places like um, 
um, uh, Bangladesh, you know, where they ran out of food and they and they did a coup and the government got taken down. We're seeing in various parts of Africa the same thing happening. Well, it's going to escalate to bigger countries and more and more modern countries that if the food isn't there. So, I just think that that from a technical standpoint, and I think from a price standpoint, given that rice is no longer available at, 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 at cheap levels, seems to me a logical place where I think the market could go to, let's say between here and the fourth quarter, before every politician sees the wisdom and saying, you know what, we probably don't want to have an energy crisis and a food crisis right. going through. What's well, probably going to be a more on 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 on. Last year, we were very, very fortunate that Europe had a very warm winter, as you know. Right. And our winter was really, you know, sort of normal. But I don't think we're likely to have a repeat. And if we have a, a long, a, you know, a, a more um, uh, unfavorably cold winter with lack of energy and lack of food, if that's where we're heading, the politicians are going to be tremendous pressure to solve this and solve it in a hurry. And so as much as that means in the short run, significant humanitarian problems and stress, it probably allows for some kind of a, of a de-escalation here at the end of the year, at least for a little while, which ultimately would be good for everyone. But unfortunately, nothing in this world that I ever seen gets solved without having a crisis that precedes it. We wish we politicians and the leaders would be able to see things in advance and take care of things in advance, but it always seems like you need a crisis to force the right thing to be done. And it looks to me like nothing is going to change until that crisis forces the politicians to de-escalate this unfortunate uh, uh, humanitarian situation that's been developing and it's getting worse. Yeah. So, okay. so you brought up my next point, talking about the weather, looking at where we're at now, going into this critical month of August, and then looking at where we're at out here in Scotts Bluff, our first frost is flip a coin or, or it could be there tomorrow. But I mean, it's um, typically we're looking at that <clears throat> middle to first part of October or middle, I'm sorry, middle of September to the first part of October that we see a first frost kind of roll through here. So I guess, Sean, as you're looking at August and and so much of the market's hinging on this August weather pattern, what are your thoughts there and how do you see that playing out? Well, the August weather pattern looks very, very solid for some really absolutely perfect weather for the core grain belt. I mean, cooler than normal and wet. I mean, you couldn't dial anything better than that, at least going in the middle of August. And and even though some heat, I think, might start coming in late in the month, I, I really think it's going to be too late to do anything about it. In terms of a frost, in an El Nino year, the key to an early frost is to get one of these typhoons. So what happens, Casey, is you develop one of these typhoons out in Asia. And it goes, say, you know, it kind of works its way up into Japan, maybe on the coast of China, and then it swings back up into the upper air mass of the Arctic. And then oftentimes, if it does that, it really pushes and forces extreme cold air down into the U.S. That's the pattern we'll, we would be looking for to give us an idea that might, you know, that if, if, if we're going to have some kind of a September frost, you know, early frost, something that could hurt, especially soybeans or something of that nature. Um, that's how you get it. Now, no one can predict when a hurricane or a typhoon sure. is going to form. No one can predict how big it's going to be. No one can predict exactly. But we know if one develops 
and if it's we know what to look for, I mean, we know what the track needs to be, we know it needs to be fairly large, we know what the track looks like, it's fairly reliable, then if we see that develop, then we're going to put out a big warning to our customers to be ready for a early frost. Ten, just as, a, as an aside, El Nino years tend to increase the risk of that happening, meaning when the Atlantic hurricane season is on the more quiet side because El Nino creates wind shear that, that kind of prevents activity in the Atlantic. It tends to increase the activity in the Pacific. So in El Nino developing years like this, the risks of one of those typhoons developing and creating that negative feedback loop for a cold snap in September is substantially higher than it is in a La Nina year when we have an active hurricane season and a very inactive Pacific season. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but definitely that that is a a pattern to watch, Casey, very closely um, because that absolutely would significantly potentially alter the supply-demand equation, at least for soybeans, for sure. So absolutely. All right, Sean, one last topic. I'll let you get going here. We haven't heard much out of the soybean soybean meal market for a while. Uh, we had the crush, the big uh, biodiesel crush thing. We had the report come out uh, three months ago or so that kind of kind of squashed that a little bit. We started looking at uh, renewable fuels and, and, and how that was started to start playing into the overall fuel supply uh, via the EPA. Since then, Sean, how's that market reacted and what do you see there? We had us kind of a, at least for the bean oil market, we had a sell the rumor Right. Buy the news, yeah. you know, kind of a typical thing. And now soybean oil is falling back down. The meal market had the exact opposite. It was, you know, it was uh, uh, sell the, you know, it was buy the river, sell the news. It was, it, right. and it went opposite direction. So now that's where, where I see the bean meal market is. We know last year Argentina had half a soybean crop, means, meaning their soybean meal exports are are very, very low, and they're the number one exporter of meal in the world. So we know supplies for meal are tight. We know the EPA said that the mandates for the three years going forward on renewable diesel are going to be much lower than we thought, which means the bean crush for renewable diesel is going to be less, which means supplies for bean meal in the United States are going to be less than we thought. Bullish pillar number two. The last part is when is African swine fever going to lead into a meat protein shortage in China. The signs we're looking for is the first thing is that we wanted to see the hog price in China bottom. We've made a V bottom surge higher here in the last two weeks, suggesting we herd liquidation is over and we've actually are beginning the uh, shortage of animals, meaning that the animals that are done and we're ready to start trading much higher hog prices, which means we're going to start rebuilding the herd. The second thing we wanted to see in China was the bean meal price bottoming and heading higher. It spiked V bottom, surged higher, suggesting that China is getting ready or starting to look at their bean meal supplies. Because remember, the way this works is you got to produce a lot of piglets first. And those piglets consume a high percentage of meal and dry whey. Who's the number one dry whey supplier for China in the world, the United States of America. If you look at the dry whey price in the United States, it made a V bottom and it's going straight back up in the V bottom. So let's so we have dry whey V bottom, bean meal V bottom in China, hog price in China V bottom. The cycle has turned. 
we now have started the clock that says the meat protein, pork protein shortage is now going to show up, let's say, sometime in the latter part of the fourth quarter. China can't wait to run out of pork. So what they have to do is they have to buy ahead of the shortage, meaning you just don't buy uh, pork from the United States today and saying that's going to be delivered tomorrow. I mean, it's a couple of months, right? Right. So yeah. if we're thinking this through, let's say that December begins the, the, the true shortage of pork. Then if I'm thinking through this, they need to start buying pork from the U.S., pork from Brazil. Starting in September and October, they're going to have to be very, very substantial buyers. And they're going to have to start picking up the pace on uh, their supplies of dry whey, which means they got to buy a lot from us. And they got to start buying a lot more soybeans to crush to make meal over there because that's how they get their meal over there. They buy the beans and they crush it for meal. So that whole uh, uh, post-ASF meat protein shortage, I'm very confident that the clock has now started. And so that's a very positive development for meal prices once, once the soybean market has made its harvest low. Because right now what's happening is beans are, are – are being, are being crushed for obvious reasons because we're having a fantastic August. The crop is getting bigger. Everyone's adding bushels, and we're trying to find out where the harvest low is. Once that is done, the bean mill market is is a market to watch. So right on. Okay. All right. So you're saying there's some hope for for the pork market here coming through this last quarter of the year? We're very very optimistic. Very very mark a livestock of all kinds. By the way, the history of the last two ASF episodes is that, uh, sure, absolutely, it's bullish for pork because that's their number one consumed meat protein. And obviously, the, their New Year's holidays comes in January, February, when they consume the most amount of pork. But remember, when there's a, when there's a meat protein shortage, that means they go buy more chicken, they go buy more beef, they go buy more fish, and they go buy more milk powder. They tend to buy proteins of all kinds because at, at some point, they're, they're going to say, look, we just need more protein, period, and so it's bullish for the entire meat protein sector, including dairy, but it's especially good for uh, for the pork industry. So, so from let's say <clears throat> let's say from the mid fourth quarter onward into let's say mid summer of next year, you know, we think the outlook for livestock in general, but especially dairy and the hog industry, looks very very bright to us. You know, look, cattle's high. You know, it's on a different cycle. Um, it looks like it might be, you know, putting in a kind of a topping pattern here. You know, I'm not not sure we're as excited about that market, but we're pretty excited about dairy. In fact, if you look at the Clash Three market for dairy, it's had a spike low, V bottom reversal. Yeah. Again, you know, just like we've seen in so so something's going on here. Um, you know, with with all of this, and we've been waiting for these signals to show up all summer long. They've now shown up. The clock has started, and we have a very, very good uh, pathway to follow from the last two times this happened. When we went through it for the very first time, we weren't really sure, right? We had never been through it before, but now we've been through it twice. Um, it's a very, very high probability outcome that we just outlined here for that, for what's going to happen there with these different um, uh, tentacles of what this post-ASF meat protein shortage means in China. Yeah, yeah I've been watching the dairy market. It was... It was disastrously low there for a while, and now it's back up into this. I think it almost gained three bucks here. Over the well, just think that spot price July closed out at in the mid-13s yeah. per hundredweight. Yeah. And 
right now, you know, we have prices, you know, in the 18s yeah. on spot price. I mean, that is just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quite a change. Huge turnaround. It's quite a turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, sure. I mean, we're talking about billions and billions of dollars of increased yeah. income for the dairy farmers in a very, very short period of time. Of course, they needed it. Of course yeah. they needed it. Absolutely needed it. All right. Yeah. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at Hackett Finance. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors with an S.com. We have a Twitter page at Faradix11. We also put stuff out on our LinkedIn page. You know, from time to time, we'll put out some different interviews and some different tidbits about our cycle work, statistical work, and our forecast to see if what we do and how we do it and what we talk about in your show is of value to our listeners. And it will be very much so. Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Look forward to talking to you again this week. Sounds good, Casey. Take care. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the video version over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check it out there. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. If you want to sign up for the Moving Iron Podcast, Moving Iron Podcast, it'd be great. Sign up for it. I don't know what you get when you sign up for it, but if you if you do, I'll figure something out. You can also go, but if you're interested, go to the Moving Iron uh, Summit. You have just a few days left to get signed up for that. There's about a handful of spaces left, so we're just about closed out there. If you're interested in that, you can send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com, or you can just fill out there online, and I will get you signed up. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's move some iron folks out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving on